Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of Jamie Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick, and the Dukes are dancing. Yes, they are, folks. Get out your waltzing shoes. Get out your Sunday day. I don't. I don't know. I. I don't know. Uh, I don't know dancing things, but they're dancing. I mean, what a dominant performance from the women. Uh, they take down Texas State by thirty in just like 30. an an insanely clinical performance. Um, men's not as clinical, but just overall fantastic. Yeah, our friend Dom texted us and said that, you know, it was like they played Hofstra on a random like CA Friday. Like it was really just a, a dominant performance and it, it looked like it was nothing against a pretty good Texas State team. A Texas State team that like JMU was in a battle with just like two weeks ago. But it was that granted, that was on the road at Texas State. But I thought that game was going to be close. Um, but today we'll talk about the women's basketball tournament, what they did in the Sunbelt tournament, what to expect out of them. Now that they finally have made the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2016, we'll touch on a little bit of what happened with men's, uh, and then a little bit of diamond Dukes. But before we get there, uh, we just want to remind everyone that bet online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season, everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more March madness is here. Uh, the NCAA tournament is right around the corner. So when you sign up with bet online, uh, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus to bet on all things NCAA tournament. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at bet online with live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Bet online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag today to use your mobile or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use promo code believe that's promo code B L E A V to receive that 50% welcome bonus bet online where the game starts. Hell yeah. And visit our friends at three notched. We love those guys. (laughs) That was a great ad read. (laughs) If you're in Harrisonburg, check out that tap room. We were in Charlottesville while I drove through, picked up some, was it Emperor of Clouds? King, King you of picked Clouds? up Emperor and King of Clouds. Those were consumed uh, men's basketball semifinal night. So Hell I appreciate yeah. you bringing them by. Hell yeah, uh, fantastic time, as always, when you came into Charlotte to uh, to to party it up. We couldn't make party our way down. Up. Yeah, party it up at the exchange um we couldn't make our way down to pensacola because both bennett and i did not realize that uh pensacola is way out of the way so first we got women's basketball because they actually did what they were supposed to do they went down oh we were talking about pensacola (laughs) this is gonna cut together beautifully um but women's basketball they went down to pensacola which is really further west than we both thought because we wanted to try and make it down there to watch some of these games but then when we realized oh, it's in the worst possible place of Florida. Um, We didn't. And women's basketball went down there. They dominated. Uh, They beat, I forgot, Marshall first. Then they took down, what was their path? Marshall, ODU, Texas State. And each one of those, it just felt like the ODU one got a little interesting. Uh, ODU put together a nice little third quarter run to 
make it closer than it I think it really was. And then they just went out and dominated Texas State. ODU is tough too, because you never know what kind of offense or defense they'll throw at you, right? Is it gonna be a five man, yep. six man? They uh they'll <laughs> they'll do anything to <laughs> to win. So that was a scrappy one. I thought the Texas State game was gonna be a battle because they're a pretty good team on both ends, but Kiki Jefferson and uh, Peyton McDaniel put on a show. Yeah, I I think there's nothing you can do when you go 12 of 16 from behind the arc and your two best players go, what, 8, 4, 7, 11 of a lot. They missed one one three-pointer between the two. 11 of 12 from three, and they were 18 (laughs) of 24 from the field, which is just – insane and then it's like oh by the way Kozlova nearly had a double double too German had a seven assist two turnover game like good luck it was just so sound all around just a really it was awesome it was fun to see too because it's it's a program that we've kind of given them some comments too right where we wanted them to return to sort of their peak years and and to have a performance like that on a big stage because there is some pressure because there's for that team, there's a kind of a significant difference between a WNIT appearance or making the NCAA tournament for the first time in like six years or whatever, seven years. Yeah. That's a, a big deal. They got it done in resounding fashion. Huge for Coach O, huge for, for Kiki, who could still come back for another year. Just big for everyone, big for the program and, and kind of one that I, I don't know, seemed like this year they sort of needed to get it done. Yeah. And I'll take this time to say I rescind everything I've ever said about coach o. uh he he proved me very much wrong the emotion on the players faces was awesome to watch the emotion for coach O uh was really great to see and that type of performance in the championship game yes it's partly because your players had career nights but also you put the players in to succeed um the positions he put the team in throughout this entire year, the way they were able to rebound from that weird something in the water stretch to the way they finished out the season. Um, I rescind everything about Coach O, and I think he has this team on a good trajectory. It's also, um, I think before we've talked maybe about how he's recruited really well and um, maybe not at the same in-game adjustments or whatever, which I, I mean, I don't even know if, if that's still true, but I will say what he's done recruiting wise is very impressive. And it showed where it's like little things where we talked, Oh, Hey, the assisted turnover is an issue. It's like Caroline German was a very good transfer portal addition. Like she came on super strong. It would have been pretty interesting to see if they had played North Carolina early in the year with her available. And she was dinged up for like a game. And it was like the one major team they played. So that would have been interesting. But then like, McDaniel's a stud like she is such a good shooter she feels like she could be playing at a quote-unquote like higher power program Kobe King Hawaii's ability to score with some of the fadeaways was certainly not her most efficient game but like she had five boards and had a couple sweet fadeaways she was a, a nice addition Kozlova did not a lot in middle Tennessee and is now like one of the most <laughs> consistent post presence in the Sun Belt it just feels like he's done such a nice job Uh, recruiting and then they have some freshmen who are like very good that haven't played at all like Maya Kone just like faced someone up in the last minute of the game and like nailed a three and is like appears to be well over six feet tall with guard skills (laughs) 
So it's like there's there's a lot of potential for them in the future. So for them to show up on this stage, clearly they're I would say the one of the most talented, if not the most talented teams. So for them to like finally late in the year hit that stride where the talent, you know, they look like the most talented team and they're executing like it yes. was really cool to see because that's sort of what we've been waiting for because they've been, you know, kind of loaded here the last few years, but have maybe underachieved a little bit with some of the talent. Yeah. I mean, you, we always talk about the COVID year and how that would have been a sweet 16 team, but even before that with precious hall and Kamaya and then Kamaya and Lexi, and then the injuries happened in the CA tournament that one year. And then they ended up going on that deep WNIT run, but really like it just felt like in, in postseason play, they were never able to play their best. And for the first time, I think in the coach O era, uh, they played their best postseason basketball by far. And it's, it's highlighted by a 30 point championship game win. Like there's no reason that you should, like, there's no reason a championship game should be decided by 30 points. Right. Like that just shows you are of a better like skill level than anyone else in your, in your league. Cause Texas yeah, state it- didn't have a bad game. They were shooting 80% in the first half from three and they were down 10 at half or down seven, like, no, down 10 at half. And they were shooting 80% from three. There's no reason like Texas state didn't have a bad game. Yeah. It was just, you know, two of the best players in the league were <laughs> unconscious both at the same game. I mean, it's, it's one where they just have more firepower than most teams. And McDaniel's crazy to watch because I think Kiki's game is more like, hey, she can drive to the lane and get, you know, a lot of free throws, which she didn't in this game. But Kiki's jumper isn't always like totally wet. Like a lot of it is like, hey, she knows how to get to the rim and can score like that. McDaniel, when she's on fire, like it's an immediate catch and shoot, very quick release. When she scored like nine points in like three possessions, it was like, oh, my God, like she would catch it, fire, wouldn't even look nothing but that it's like you can't really defend that because if it's getting off it's going in and then there was that point where kiki right before halftime just faced up a girl was probably in her cylinder as like the refs now like to do the cylinder thing like was all the way in her face and just wetted it was nasty just i mean it was such an impressive performance from both of them and to blow out a good texas state team was was super cool. So I'm stoked for them. And it's, it's an interesting one too, where like, I know we go from the beginning of the season where we're like, wow, this program needs to turn it on to them actually turning it on. And you look like they've had some decent success when they're, you know, fully healthy under coach O. And the crazy part is like some of these mid major coaches are having just absurd levels of success once they move on. So like Kenny Brooks, Virginia Tech's going to be like a one seed. Yeah. Yep. Like they're going to, they're going to be one team. You look at, I think it's Denise Dillon was the Drexel coach that coach O had battles with. They might, Jamie might end up meeting them in the first round, possibly. Villanova is going to be like a three or a four seed with Denise Dillon. Like it, it's one that's interesting. Cause like if coach O has another year or whatever, where they make the NCAA tournament and look great, like, I don't know. You, you look at like the former CAA coaches, it's not crazy to think that if you get to a place where you can recruit like mad and get a bunch of four and five stars, you can be a power coach and have a top four seed. It's just women's basketball is, is wild to me in terms of the, the landscape and how like if you can get the top level recruits, like it's over. Where I feel like in men's, like maybe you can get around that a little more. I feel like women's, it's, it's so much of like if you've got the, the team, you're, you're just going to be good. 
Yeah, and to like kind of take it out, like you have a Leah Boston at South Carolina, clearly one of the best players in the league, and South Carolina's unbeatable. And she's not even like the leading scorer on the team. Right. But her presence causes so many issues. Caitlin Clark at Iowa. I mean, I was number two in the country right now. They're they're a consistent like top 25 program. But then you add in Caitlin Clark and all of a sudden they are competing with South Carolina to be the best team in the nation. Like it is all about that recruit. And with JMU, they've had an insane run. It just seems like they always have that great recruit from Precious to Kamaya to Kiki and before Precious, Guathme, Don Evan. And we always bring up these names, but it just seems like it's been a rotating door of big time recruits. And it's a big reason why JMU was at the top of the CAA for almost the entire time they were in the CAA. And it's why they're going to be at the top of the Sun Belt for years to come. Yeah. And it's, it's when you're starting to see kind of more upsets in the women's game, which I think is good. Like last year, there were some double digit seeds and stuff like that, that, that did some good stuff where it's in that historically that's been way more common in the men's game. Yeah. I think some of that was probably just overall talent, but it's, it's one that you can see like now that some of the mid majors are also getting these elite level players. Like there were times where Kiki and, and Peyton McDaniel were doing things that like Texas state, you can't game plan it. Like if she catches it from beyond the three point line with like a little bit of space and goes seven for seven from three, yeah, like there's nothing you can do to stop that. And I think that's, what's so exciting about you know, next year and years beyond as JMU continues to recruit at a high level is like mid-majors aren't going to have an answer if, if your players are just a lot better, which we've, like you mentioned, we've kind of seen over the years at JMU. It's just insane that Kamaya, not Kamaya, wow, Kiki, and it was bound to happen this season. Fantastic that it waited until the last podcast where we're talking about women or the second to last podcast. <laughs> Kiki and Peyton combined to score more than Texas State. Like, I was going to say something really stupid. If you're doing that, you can't win the game, which like, no, 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 duh. You can't win the game if you're being outscored. But like, that's insane to me that they just put the team on their back. And that Kozlova is also one rebound away from a double, double. And German has seven assists. Like this seems good. Are now, now let's segue into the NCAA tournament. Are they good enough to win an NCAA tournament game? I think that's the question. That's, that's interesting. And I won't rule it out like I've said all year that like I think they could maybe win a game. But I think the the one thing that I would caution some fans is like that's probably the best game they've played all year. Like that that has not been what they've done all year. It it hasn't been. But I think maybe almost like to their credit, they've shown up in a lot of games against competitive teams and not had their best and found ways to win by like five, which I think is like super valuable, long term, short term, whatever. Like shows a, a winning team they just found ways to win games where i know at times we talked about the men's team being like unlucky some of it is they just made bad decisions down the stretch of games and would lose by a couple points because they were taking like hero ball shots where the women's team like found ways to get stops got it to kiki or whoever and, and made the clutch baskets to win close games but people were i don't know people on twitter were getting so excited they're like you know if, if we play like this we could win an ncaa tournament game it's like yeah if, if peyton mcdaniel and kiki jefferson go 11 of 12 from three, they'll probably be in a game against a four seed. But like, that's not a sustainable model. So I don't know if they show up and have their average game if they're competitive, you know? Yeah. I also will say, I think the announcers were a little feeding into that. Like, cause the announcers throughout the game were like, if they play like this, they can, <laughs> they can go on a deep run. And it's just like, like what you said. Yeah. If they all have career best days. Yeah, of course they can go on a run. Any team could go on a run if their best players have their best games of their entire careers. 
for a stretch of three games. Yeah, of course they're making it to the Elite Eight, but that's not what's happening. Now, if they're a 12 seed taking on a five, and you mentioned this in the article that's on JMU Sports News, I think they have a potential to win a game. Um, Maybe they can put it together and have a good weekend and win two games. But if they're taking on a four at a home site, that's where things get really interesting. If it's a neutral venue against a five seed and maybe you get a weaker five seed, uh, which probably wouldn't be the case because they'd probably be with a worst 12 seed if they got to the 12 line. So they would take on the best five seed. Uh, but at a neutral venue, anything can happen. You see that with a 30 point drubbing of Texas state. Um, but yeah, if they get a four seed and they're taking on Virginia, not Virginia tech, Shane Metlin is in my head with how he said it's potential that Virginia tech will be facing off against JMU. Um, which immediately went the other way because Tech's going to be a one and Jamie played so well that they're going to get like a 12 or a 13. So it's, it's not very close to. No, but if they're yeah. taking on a four seed on the road, it's going to be really tough. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's hard. And that's kind of, I kind of like how they set it up with women's basketball. I get it. I mean, it makes sense, I guess, that the men do the neutral sites or whatever, but it's, it's that are kind of near campuses to be honest with you, but it's, it's cool that they play like on campus sites for these first couple rounds. And so if you're the a one through four seed, your first two games would be, um, at home. And then if you're like the four and you get upset, they still play at that venue. They're not like then trying to travel to some other campus or anything ridiculous, but it's, it's cool. I think it's fun, but it's also like, yeah, that's pretty hard. And I think on the flip side, if you're, let's say it's a five twelve, and maybe you're the early game, maybe you're the late game. It doesn't matter. I imagine the, the host sites fans probably like basketball and might go to both games they would be pulling for the double digit seed to pull the upset so that they would play the double digit seed, which in their mind is theoretically an easier game. So like you would have fan support from just like random bystanders. If you're the 12 seed, whereas if you're the 13, they're adamantly cheering against you. Like it's a weird dynamic, but it's one that um, is, is certainly worth noting. Yeah. So it's going to be a fun time. Selection Sunday is Sunday. What time is it? Eight o'clock on ESPN. So I guess what, like two hours, hour and a half after the men's one starts. Yeah. So we'll all be filling out our brackets for the men's tournament. Uh, then you turn your attention to the women's tournament. Last time, Jamie, you made the NCAA tournament was 2016. They faced off against DePaul in the first round and lost. Uh, I believe that was Kenny Brooks's last year at JMU too. Um, yeah. And then Coach O took over. So JMU hasn't been in this spot for a long, long time. And it's really exciting. So exciting and probably worth noting too. Like they don't have to win. Like, no, I feel no, like no. This was their just, expectation. Yeah. This was, this is what we all wanted out of them. We were coming into the season, me more than you saying like coach O needs to win the Sunbelt championship to, for me, in my mind to keep his job. Um, but at the end of the day, he wasn't getting fired if he wasn't winning it, but that's my own, I'm living in my own reality, <laughs> but this is what we wanted from them. Right. We, we didn't want a deep WNIT run. We wanted a first round exit in the NCAA tournament. And there's a strong chance that's what we get, but there's also a possibility that they win a few games, but that's just, that's just icing on top of the cake. I'm really excited to eat this red velvet cake without any icing on it. This is a big one, man. It's a big win and I'm excited for him. I think it's, it's good for the program. I'm sure it'll help in recruiting to say, Hey, we first year in the Sun Belt, won the regular season, won the conference title and beat the you know second best team in the league. by <laughs> put a 30 piece on them. I imagine people will like that. In the recruiting, you got a nice facility, right? You've been in the NCAA tournament, you've been in the WNIT before. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what the future holds because it seems like they're trending in the right direction after a couple of down years. They really righted the ship this year. So, credit to the players and Coach O for what's been a stellar season. 
yeah, who knows if Kiki and, and Peyton get hot again, like it'll, <laughs> it'll be a very fun first round game. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of teams that are trending in the right direction, but maybe not as aggressively, uh, they took a step in the right direction this year, making it to the semifinals of a conference tournament for the first time since 2013 men's basketball, their season ends with a 75 66 loss to South Alabama in the Sunbelt semis. South Alabama is a great team. I believe they lost last night to Louisiana though, in the Sunbelt yeah. tournament. So Louisiana gets the men's basketball Sunbelt automatic bid. Um, I mean, it was just a kind of a bad game overall for the men's and it was kind of like a culmination of the whole season. Like when they lost, this is how they lost. They got out muscled. They got beat up on the outside. They went two of 16 from deep. They only shot 39% from the floor. Defensively, they weren't able to make rotation. Like just overall, this is kind of how they lost games throughout this entire year. Yeah, kind of a, I don't know. It's, it's not a disappointing season. I don't think because they had some highs and they won a bunch of games, but I, I understand the counterpoint that people make is like, Hey, they beat up on a pillow soft schedule, which they did. Like it was, it was not a good schedule. Uh, they had some bad losses, Coppin state and Valpo in there, but overall, you know, they were one of the better teams in the Sun Belt. They made the semifinals. They've raised their floor yeah. from, from when Byington started significantly, which is not nothing. I think the next step is going to be though, like, all right, what's the ceiling? What can you do, especially in the off season? This roster, is roster construction wise. Can you look and see, okay, here are some obvious flaws. Can I tweak it? Maybe it's getting a big man, whatever. And then making it work from there. Cause they, they're not far away from being like a dangerous 12 seed, but at the same time, they also could flounder in the win 22 games don't make the NIT, don't make the NCAA tournament realm. And that would suck. I don't want that again. Yes. Cause that was, that was the Brady era, like year after year was 20 wins. Or not every year. It seemed like every three years they get like a 20 win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'd go like 10 win, 15 win, 22 win, five win, 10 win, 17 <laughs> win. Brady era was very weird. Um, but yeah, their, their floors raised. I think their ceiling, you got a lot of work to do in the offseason, but I think they're back to where they were when Brady was fired. And that's bad. Like that looks poor on Jeff Bourne, <laughs> right? Like you fired Brady because you wanted to you wanted to take the next step forward. You wanted to grow your men's basketball program. And instead you set them behind quite literally five years. And we are now back to the spot where Brady had us. So we're back there. That's the floor now. I think 18 plus wins should be the expectation year in and year out for JMU men's basketball. With all that being said, this game was lost in the offseason. This game was lost because JMU didn't get a big in the offseason. If they got a big, it would have spaced the floor better. It would have opened up looks from three better. They wouldn't have been so, so hell-bent on shooting contested mid-range fadeaway jumpers with 10 minutes left in the second half while they're down five. Like this game was lost because their, their tallest guy with consistent minutes was six, eight. 
This game was lost because Mezzi Offerum had to play the five when he's more of a three, four. This game was lost because Alonzo Sule is a fantastic four in the Sun Belt, but he was forced to play the five and he just can't match up physically with a seven foot Kevin Samuel Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Year. This game was lost in the offseason. So that makes this offseason very important that they they get some recruits. Uh, Roberson, let's let's hope he has a good kind of maturation after a full year in the program. Hopefully he doesn't transfer. Uh, he has a good offseason of work. And they also bring in a transfer to that might be like, yeah, I don't know, six nine to six twelve. And by six twelve, I clearly mean seven foot. It's just kind of a tough spot because like they did a nice job. They had a bunch of offensive rebounds in this game, and there were like some positives. They didn't turn it over a lot. But and they lost like Mezzi played <laughs> Mezzi played great from from two and like there are all those things they don't have like a low post presence they also don't have a guy where like if the other team is going toward the rim like they have to be fearful which kevin samuel felt like he did that at times when jamie would try to go inside it's like oh wait that guy's tough and they play defense in a way because of their rim protector that they're exceptionally good because they really pressure the three because they want you to drive by them and then go to the shot blocker Whereas if JMU pressures a three, you drive by, there's no shot blocker. Like it's a way different defensive scheme. Nine times out of 10, there's no one even in the paint. Right. And South Alabama is one of the best three point defenses in the country. Cause I think they make it where like, if you're taking it, it's highly contested. They want you to sort of go in, either take a mid range or try to go to the rim against their shot blocker. So it's an interesting setup they have that I think makes a ton of sense where you look at South Alabama, they shot like 57% from two in this game because JMU doesn't have the rim protection where there's, there's not a lot of fear when you go, you know, toward the rim. Really, there's not a lot of fear if you don't turn the ball over against the defensive. But I don't know. I just feel like they could do some things to, to better build the roster. And they, they had, you know, some guys, kind of a small ball lineup. We talked about this. that was not an elite three-point shooting group. And some of that is because they put a lot of pressure, I think, on Friedel, where it was like, oh, this guy is a 40% career three-point shooter we can just bank on that. And he shot like 31% against D1 teams this year from three, which is not what you're looking for. I think he'll bounce back next year, but you can't really have it be like this one guy needs to be like a lethal three-point shooter or we aren't a good shooting team because Molson and Morse are kind of inefficient and inconsistent, especially from three. So I think that's my, my area is like, all right, a big would be cool. And then I kind of think, the way they graduate things is Byington's almost forced to have a more efficient offensive team. So I, I'm kind of bullish on next year based on just how the roster is forced to set up with who returns. Yeah. I'm excited to see how the transfer portal unfolds, see who they can get. If they do another year of like only guards, I think it's worth questioning Byington's roster management. Um, I think they were in on some big men this last transfer portal season. They just couldn't land any of them. Um, and so they were kind of forced to play a small ball lineup. And then also if Roberson kind of has that maturation process mm-hmm. where he becomes good, I think he's six, nine, six, 10, um, is projected to be a, I mean, he was an athletic five in high school college game is much different, but if he, we could have an athletic five or if he can move down and play the four, and then you can bring in a big man who's six, 10, six, 11, I don't know, maybe I'm being too greedy, uh, but I think there's a lot of potential for this team. And I think the expectations going into next season should be 18 wins or more. Like, I think this is the point where if they are not at the top of the Sunbelt year in and year out, there needs to be some questions. Yeah, I would agree. And give me a better schedule, which I realized that there were some restrictions this year, but like now that you've, you're like a top 100 net team. Yeah. 
give me a real schedule, get rid of the D1s, maybe play one, not sorry, get rid of the D1s, that's what they did this year, get rid of the <laughs> non-D1s, play some D1 teams, maybe some local teams, I don't know, but play teams that are going to test you. If you're playing D3 schools, I want Bridgewater and EMU and like, that's it. If you're, if like, I don't want to be playing Coastal Georgia. Who gives a flying hoot about Coastal Georgia? Um, honestly, Gallaudet, Valley Forge, I don't care. Like, if you're playing D3, it's Bridgewater or EMU. That's it. And then let's get some more D1 teams. Let's have some, let, I would love just like good mid-major games. That's what I'm hoping for. Like, that's all I want, man. Home and homes with some like cool mid-majors. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. Kennesaw State, let's get them on the schedule. They're down in Why Georgia, not? right? Yeah. They just won their thing. Could be a fun one. It would be great if JMU has a good D1-filled schedule that, I don't know, maybe puts them in a conversation for like a very weird at-large. That'd be fun. Let's make the Sun Belt a two-bid league. That would be awesome. Um, but I do want to touch on something that I saw over – on Twitter over the weekend. I'm not going to harp on it too much, but I just feel like it's worth being said because of the reaction I saw from JMU Twitter about it. Uh, Shane Metlin tweeted that Owen white, who is one of South Alabama's better shooters, better players was a dirty player. Um, I think that's 100% out of line, especially as a credentialed media member. There's no place for him to be calling a college athlete dirty uh, and then compare him to Grayson Allen without any video proof. Grayson Allen was outwardly tripping people, kicking people, um, doing objectively dirty things, and there was video evidence. Um, there was no video evidence from Owen White. Shane Metlin uh, would then double down on it multiple times uh, throughout the night, which I thought was an even worse look. And then Owen White had to DM him while he was probably celebrating a semifinal win, goes on to Twitter post game. You mentioned this and sees all of his mentions blowing up because a media member called him dirty. So he has to then DM Shane, let him know that he's not dirty and show the video evidence. And then JMU's kind of reaction, JMU Twitter's reaction was saying, yeah, that kid is dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is straight shooter. Shane, this is great. Come on guys. He wasn't dirty. Like, this is a college athlete playing hard. He like, and I know that sounds so cliche, but he he wasn't playing dirty. He was going after loose balls. He was playing aggressively. There was nothing dirty about his play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you said. It's it's sort of a weird conversation, I guess, because fans get like kind of loyal about certain things but it's it's one where having worked as a beat writer you just like it's just an unprofessional tweet and i've sent unprofessional tweets i know what an unprofessional tweet is <laughs> that it would it fell under that and then i think it was it was kind of frustrating um from my end i appreciate the apology that he sent um but there were jamie fans who were like most journalists wouldn't take the time to apologize most journalists wouldn't have called him a dirty player originally like it was just a shitty tweet originally and it's, it's weird to be like, wow, this is like a good situation. It's like, no, like there's no reason to do that. What if Owen White saw it and didn't DM him? The tweet would still be up. So it's it's just kind of a ridiculous um, thing. It, it irritated me. I just think it's one that like 
And to be honest with you, from a fan perspective, it's annoying because it gets lumped in like JMU fans are doing it. Because most people do not take like a mid-major team beat writer, like a casual fan from Southern Miss does not understand the difference. And not to, <laughs> not to call it Southern Miss <laughs> that much. But like, I think a lot of times casual fans are like, oh, you like assume that the beat writer roots for the team. Right. When that's like not yeah. what a beat writer is supposed to do. So that's kind of frustrating where it's like, oh, Jamie fans think he's dirty. No one thinks that. I, I don't think fans were blaming some were, but like a very select group of people were blaming the officials when like 95% of Jamie fans realized they just got outplayed for the entire 40 minutes by South Alabama. And we're like, hey, it happened the season over. There were some positives from the year. And instead it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, are Jamie fans whining about the refs? It's like, no, no. Yeah. Nobody is. And that's all we'll say on that. Don't want to harp on it too much because I think we both lived, we, we both probably gave it too much attention to start. So I just wanted to touch on that to say that. I think that was a good explanation on your end. Um, I know I just said I'm done with it. It's also weird because you have Noah Friedel on your team who like has been outward about his experience in college basketball, um, took a year off to work on his mental health, which is an awesome thing. It's just weird to then have like the beat writer of the team. I don't know if this makes sense, but like you're, you're attacking a college kid and I don't know. Saying that someone can win an award for the Sunbelt's dirtiest player as an offhand tweet might feel like nothing, but when you're the 22 year old kid who reads it and has somebody like with a blue check, who's credentialed, it, it comes across a lot differently. And I think it's like a very serious accusation that people are like, oh, it's just a tweet. No, it's not. Like if, if you read that as the athlete, it's not just a tweet. It's them like attacking. When you say someone's a dirty player, it's not even like their game. It's it's like a personal thing. Where yeah. It's like they don't play the game the right way, which I think is, is not cool unless you have like very specific video evidence personally. Yep. So moving on from that to the diamond, uh, we'll start with baseball, then hit softball real quick. Um, Jamie baseball. I don't know what happened this weekend, man. They lost the series to UMass Lowell. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, what are we doing here? Like this is a, this is a lineup (laughs) that can hit. Like they have put up double digits. One, two, three, uh, four, five, five times this season. They've put up seven twice and they've put up nine once. This is a team that has like dudes in the lineup. They got bats. I don't know what was off this weekend um, against UMass Lowell. They won the first game on Saturday of the doubleheader, 11-5. to um, And then they lost 5-1 to in the doubleheader, which, okay, doubleheaders are hard to win both games of. That's, that's a known thing in college baseball. Kind of like a midweek, weird things happen in doubleheaders. Uh, but then the Sunday 1 p.m. game, they, were, they lost 12-5, to which just feels weird. You'd assume they're facing their best pitcher on Saturday of that doubleheader, right? And that's the one they played Probably, their best. Yeah. And then the next two starters, you'd assume, get worse in quality. This is just going off of what my knowledge of baseball starters is. The Friday starter is always the best. And they struggled as the series went on. Very weird. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I don't know. It's just so frustrating because it's we talked about like you've got this great opportunity. UMass Lowell hasn't even won a game yet this yeah, year. Yeah, this was this was UMass Lowell's first and second win of the season. And then they go out and just sort of 
you lose the series. I mean, it's one thing to like, you know, not get the sweep. It's another thing to lose the series to a team that played South Carolina to start its season and lost 20 to three, 17 to one and 12 to one. Like UMass Lowell is nothing special. So it's, it's kind of the thing we talk about where it's like, Hey, like you got to put on your, you know, your big boy pants and start winning some games or they're going to make a, a change. And they very much did not start winning some games. Eight and three sounds a lot better than six and five. Well, and then the part that's a little frustrating, if I'm not mistaken, South Carolina upstate, which will be their next series after a couple of midweeks, right? They got yeah. VMI and VCU is good. Yep. Like they are. Yeah. They're one of the top teams. I think they're in this. I get the big South and SoCon mixed up all the time. They're in one they're, of the two. Let's see, uh, big South. So they're one of the top teams in the big South. Um, and VMI is also not bad. And then VCU is good. Yeah. So, so it's, this, it's, this next March 7th to March 15th stretch uh, could be difficult. And it's, it's one where like upstate got swept by Troy and Troy's nuts. <laughs> and then like, but bef- before that they beat Clemson and it just gives you a little pause because it's like, we're going to have to play against teams like Troy in conference. Like if, I don't know, you have to beat up on the UMass Lowell's if you're going to play a Sunbelt schedule as like a seemingly average team and get out of the year alive. Yep. I think this, this non-con stretch from March 7th to 15th, then heading into a opening Sunbelt series against Coastal um, is going to show us what this team really is. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And I guess they don't try on the regular season schedule. It's, they can breathe. But they got ODU, there. which is like also They've very got, good. Yeah. They also have Virginia Tech, yeah, which was a four be... seed, I think, a year ago. I think I saw a um, – And they have Southern Miss. Sorry. <laughs> a, re- a reply to one of the UMass Lowell final scores that was like, well, that was a fun season. And it's, it's almost, <laughs> almost how I feel where it's like, ah, they brought me in for like an hour. <laughs> and I just don't believe it's going to work out now. Yeah, I, I had hope and now the hope is gone and now they kind of have to prove it back to me um, over on the softball side of things. Softball is 10 and five. Um, they had a solid, I guess solid. They lost both games to Purdue, but they both, they beat both games against UNC. So they went two and two at the Carolina classic. And then this Friday, the LD and B insurance inventational, um, which is the Harrisonburg invitational. It's the JMU thing they mm-hmm. hold every year. Um, they'll be taking on St. Joe's Coppin state, fairly Dickinson and Radford uh, during that stretch. Some winnable games for sure. Yeah. Move to hopefully they win all of those games and move to what? 13 and five, um, 14 and five. Yeah. Lissa Humphrey solid start to the year. I think he just, she just picked up a career strikeout. Oh, they just had that. They just posted the graphic. Big time career strikeout number. Uh, but she's five and two this season with a 203 ERA, five complete games, 48 and a third innings pitched, uh, w- striking out 78, walking just 16. So a good, nice. good start for Alyssa Humphrey. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, inter- <laughs> I'm interested to see how the rest of the season goes. They've, they've rallied nicely after this low start. Um, I'm, I'm just fascinated by Sunbelt softball. Right now they have the second worst RPI in the Sunbelt. They've been playing some soft teams. 
to be completely frank yes. with you. The Sunbelt's filthy, man. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out, right? Right. They've got a really winnable weekend here, but then like we're 10 days away from them playing at Coastal Carolina, which is 18 and three and 14 and two at home. So like, <laughs> so they've lost the majority of their games at home. That's what you're but, telling me. Yeah. Yeah. After three losses, buckle up because they're, it's about to get really competitive. So I'm just interested to see how they handle that because it's been a pretty um compared to years past it's been a lighter non-conference schedule for sure what a difference that the Sun Belt makes remember with the CAA they're just like you gotta get your games in now because when you play the CAA I wonder if that's why their non-con schedule this season is worse than it normally is because like in the CAA you're like well we need to like bolster our RPI in the first two weeks of the year because facing Elon three times in a in a weekend series isn't going to do anything Right. And now it's going to get loaded up here in conference playing get a lot tougher. I, I don't know. I've got my doubts, but I'm excited to see how they compete. Both Diamond Dukes' seasons will be fun. Uh, the Sun Belt is going to provide a lot of great action. I get a look at ODU this upcoming weekend. ODU will take on Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte area, come on over to Robert and Miriam Hayes Stadium because everyone <laughs> wants to watch some Charlotte baseball taking on ODU. Uh, but I'll get a look at ODU, see how they are, see what they see what they give. And uh We'll give our scouting report on the Monarchs. Hell yeah. Well, anything else you want to add? Quick shout out to lacrosse, which is just motoring down. Oh, yeah. Yep. They're uh, five and one, got the home win over Maryland, and they beat the living crap out of Ohio State 16 to seven after that one. They're looking like, you know, they got the loss to North Carolina, but they're looking like like final four-ish kind of team. That loss to North Carolina was like a competitive loss. Yes. I mean, there, I think they could be, you know, they keep playing the way they're playing. They could certainly be in the mix for a little, you know, one of the top contenders for a national title. Let's do it. For Bennett Conlon, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube